Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> uh, for my chapel today, uh, my topic is Our Common Brokenness. And I had a couple different titles I wanted to use, and I couldn't decide between them all, so I thought I would just use all three. So the first title is Our Common Brokenness. The second title is, oh good, it does work. So God, a Jew, and a Gentile demoniac walk into a bar. And the third title is, Jesus isn't afraid of sinners. We shouldn't be either. So uh, for my chapel today, we'll be discussing a really common st a story that we all know. We all grew up hearing it in Sunday school. We're going to start out with the story of Jesus calming the storm, and then we're going to transition into the story of the garrisoned demoniac. And I'll be approaching this story from a different point of view than maybe typically we're used to approaching the story. What I decided to do is take all the people in the story and divide them into three different characters, and all of these characters are going to relate to this idea of brokenness in a certain way. And when we talk about brokenness, I'm not talking about um, the brokenness of like, you know, when we're like, Lord, break me, and that kind of brokenness. I'm talking about the brokenness of sin that permeates our lives and the world around us, just so you know. So I'll just start reading here from Luke. Hmm. Uh, I think you can probably figure out what it says, even though it's kind of off the screen. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg of you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him, they begged him not to order them to go back to the abyss. Now there on the hillside was a large herd of swine, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. 
But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. So our first characters in the story, I took the Gerasenes and the disciples, and I crunched them together into one character. Um, side note, I love in this, this guy right here in the boat, just freaking out. <laughs> it's probably Peter. That's what I would probably be like, ah, we're singing. Anyway, <laughs> when I looked at the disciples and the Gerasenes, there are two traits in them that stood out to me really strongly. And the first trait is fear. When facing evils, the disciples responded with fear. Now, if you all remember from Richie White's class and James Enz's class, uh, when people looked at the sea, the sea wasn't just an ocean, right? It was the abyss. It was a place, it was a representation of evil on earth. So when you're crossing the ocean in your boat, it's not just you're going across the water, you're crossing this thing that represents to you evil. And this theme of the abyss comes up also when the demons are kicked out of the garrison demoniac, right? So when facing evil, the disciples responded with fear. So when they were crossing the lake, um, they were terrified, especially when this huge storm comes up. There's this opposition, and they're so scared. And when Jesus showed his authority over nature and over the abyss, they were even more afraid. Luke doesn't tell us how the di disciples reacted to being greeted by a demon-possessed man once they crossed the lake, but I'm guessing their response was similar. I am pretty certain mine would be. This crazy guy just runs at you the minute you get out of your boat. That is so frightening, right? Um, what's, and you know, what's our response in general when we encounter broken people? We usually get freaked out. We're afraid we won't say the right thing. We fear that the person might hurt us somehow. We fear that somehow their sin will rub off on us. Look at oftentimes how we respond to how our church or how we respond to like gay people, transgender people, the radical Islamic people. Those like we've got these groups where it's like Ooh, we can't let them be near us. They they might tarnish us, right? We're kind of afraid of them. And then we have the garrison community and how are they responding to the situation? And Luke doesn't tell us specifically how they felt about this man, but he gives us clues. This man has been living completely alone for a really long time. People avoid him. This man is naked. No one's providing for him. And this man does not live in his house. He's not living in a family community. He's living among the dead. The second tendency that the disciples and us often have when we are faced with evil and darkness is we kind of want to control. So oftentimes we try to deal with what frightens us by controlling it. We're afraid of what's in people's hearts, so we don't deal with the heart. Rather, we try to control what other people say and what they do. We come up with a list of right things and wrong things. We try to control behavior because that is much less scary than confronting and healing hearts. And this is exactly where legalism comes from. How did the Gerasenes try to deal with the demon-possessed man? Control. They just tried to wrap this guy in chains. They just didn't know what else to do with him. How did the disciples try to deal with the Gerasene demand? The Gerasene demoniac man? Uh, once again, Luke doesn't tell us, but we know how the disciples oftentimes react. In Matthew's account of the Syrophoenician woman, 
as she begs Jesus to help her daughter, the disciples say, tell her to go away. She is bothering us with all her begging. This woman's neediness bothers us. Tell her to shape up. Tell that Gentile woman to follow the rules. She's not allowed to talk to us. We don't know how to deal with this neediness. We're going to control it and put it on the other side of the line. So the opposite of the, of the disciples' response that we see oftentimes in the Gospels would be a response of empathy. And empathy is getting down on your knees, looking someone else in the eye, and realizing that you could be them. All that separates you is luck. Or in the case of what we're talking about this morning, let's cross out luck and let's put in the name Jesus Christ. The next character we're going to talk about is the character of the demoniac. And, okay, this picture is kind of scary, so I won't leave it up for too long. It's very unpleasant. It's supposed to be unpleasant because sin and evil is unpleasant. It's unsettling. It makes you feel sick, right? Or at least that's what it does for me. This picture is actually entitled Rage, which is interesting. Um, I'll just flip to a blank slide so we don't have to look at that scary one the whole time. Uh, James Enns, so I have to give credit to him, he got this from another scholar, and I don't remember who. He had a really interesting parallel between Jesus and the demoniac. Um, that kind of the basic idea is, if Jesus is the new Adam, so this Adam who is still in communion with God, he hasn't fallen, he's um, what we're supposed to be, maybe the demoniac can be seen as the ultimate fallen Adam. He is Adam unrepented, enslaved to sin, he is trapped in Satan's reign. So the demoniac, this is the fullness of if Satan has his way on earth, this is what he would want. This man lives alone. He's naked. His body is damaged and tortured. He lives in shame. And he lives among the dying. Barely human, the demoniac shows us what the dominion of Satan looks like, and it's frightening. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." Although the demoniac is an example of a person who is enslaved to Satan to the extreme, on some level, all of us are the character of the demoniac. All of us start as enemies of God. And when we are this character, here's another really unpleasant picture, but there's kind of this, I use the word rage to describe this like rebellion in the human heart. And this is in all of our hearts. We've got this verse, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When Jesus comes, the demoniac runs up to him and confronts him. He acknowledges Jesus' authority, yet still angry in spirit. What business do you have with me, most high God? Do not torment me. He screams these words, Luke tells us. And how ironic is it that the tormentor asks not to be tormented? Isn't this such a picture of sinfulness? What we think we can do to others, we would never want done to ourselves. But somehow we're the exception. 
Why are we so afraid of the evil in others? Because we know that the rage we see in other people, that anger and rebellion toward God, deep down we know that the same is in our own hearts. The rebel in us does not want to submit. The Old Testament talks about Israel keeping up the pretense of relationship with God through offerings and festivals, all while cheating their neighbors, cheating on their spouses, and hurting their children. A.W. Tozer writes, The essence of sin is for us to set our will against the will of God and to dethrone God and make ourselves supreme in the little kingdom of man's soul. This is sin at its evil root. Then a moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of his own selfhood and from that elevated position declares, I am. That is sin in its concentrated essence, yet it, because it is natural, it appears to be good. We are born into sin, and part of us knows it. We're afraid of our own darkness, and a part of us is angry that we need to submit to God to get away from it. The other trait that I see so strongly in the demoniac and in ourselves is shame. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The demoniac lived a horrible life. He was alone, naked, his body damaged and tortured, and he lived in shame, dying among the dead. I also wonder if he lived in isolated isolation not because the whole community was afraid of him, but also because he was ashamed of what he'd become. This man was barely human. He was a monster. Brené Brown writes that shame is the intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging. We see the sin in our hearts, and without Jesus to wash it away, that sin festers into our identity. Idolater fornicator, wrathful, haughty, rebellious, evil. Shame tells us a lie. It tells us that our behavior is who we are. And it transforms us from a person who tells a lie to being someone who is a liar. And it tells us that that means that we are not worthy of love. But we want to be loved, so we hide ourselves. Like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden, we put on a front. The same way that we try to control others into what we consider is socially acceptable through legalism and things like that, we try to craft an image of ourselves that tells everyone else that we are good because we're afraid of the part of ourselves that could be eaten up by evil. And we think if people see that, they won't love us. I'll never forget the day I was with my dad. I went through this phase in like fifth grade where I became very fascinated with the Holocaust because I just think I didn't know how to deal with that evil. And I was watching a, a documentary about it with my dad, and I remember it's still seared in my mind, this image of all these emaciated bodies just thrown into a pit together. And it was just like super horrible. And I remember turning to my dad, and I was just like, those Nazis, those people were so evil, like just evil. And I was so upset. And I'll never forget my dad, he just turned to me and he looked at me and he goes, Hannah Mae, that evil is in your heart too. The only thing that separates you from becoming something like that is the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And I was like, oh, 
I may not be a crazed demoniac mutilating myself and living among the tombs, but I understand the rebellion of my heart toward God, and I've seen the sins and hurt that I create. And I understand being afraid of that darkness, and I try to hide it. I understand being swallowed up into the lie that I am unworthy of love, and thus working double time to convince everyone that I am. But now we're going to go to the good news. Because our third character is Jesus. Isaiah 59 has this amazing passage. Justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation, and his own righteousness upheld him. So Isaiah starts out talking about this miserable situation where we create our own hell on earth, and we like, live in the consequences of our sin, and we moan, and, like, and we groan like bears, and we can't get out of it. And God says, I can't believe this is happening, but I will send my own son to release people from this torment. So then Jesus comes, and he pursues us. You can see on this map here, this is, he went from Capernaum to the region of the Gerasenes. He crossed all the way across the lake so that he could go meet that demoniac man. And I don't know about you, but if I had a choice of people I could meet, a crazed demoniac mutilating himself among the tombs would probably not be at the top of my list, (laughs) right? So first, he loaded his followers up in a boat, headed across the abyss. Second, they headed toward the region of the Gerasenes, a place where Gentiles lived and people herded pigs. Ugh, right? If you're a Jew, it's like, ugh. What's What's the equivalent of that now? I'm not sure, like... Well, I could think of some, but I won't say them in chapel, I guess. (laughs) Third, when the storm came, they faced opposition. Jesus faced it. He didn't turn, he wasn't like, whoa, let's turn this boat around, we gotta go back. He faced it, and he pushed through it. His love for this man was great enough for him to risk danger. Fourth, when the garrison man ran at him, pretty freaky stuff if you ask me. I'd be afraid if a big man came running at me. Jesus' first interaction with him before the man even spoke was to see him and to command the demon to come out. He didn't run away from him, he wasn't afraid of him, and he didn't come with chains to bind him. He saw the man, separate from the evil, and commanded the demons away. How do the crowds respond? Fear. How did the disciples respond to the lake when Jesus shows his authority over the, over the abyss? Fear. They're afraid of the sea and the demoniac, but even more, they're even more afraid of the one who has authority and power over such things. Who is this person who doesn't fear sin and darkness the way the rest of us do? Well, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. Jesus knows what it feels like to be in the condition of the demoniac. How did he die? He was alone. He was naked. His body was damaged and tortured. He was in shame. And he was dying among the dying when he was on the cross. Sorry. That Jesus, he really gets me kind of emotional. Jesus faced evil, and he defeated it through obedience to his Father and with his resurrection. We have a God whose incarnation injected himself into our world and into our experiences. He has experienced evil and defeated it. He wasn't afraid to go to dark places to pull people out because he knew that he himself would experience death, but that he would not be held by it. And as his ambassadors... We don't need to feel the dark places or the dark people either. We all have a common brokenness, but we also have a common savior. Salvation is available to all people, and we are called to show the savior to the world through our courage, our freedom, and our love-infused lives. I love this image because he's reaching through the water. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. God sees us through the blood of Christ, and he says that we are good now. He said that we are worthy of love before we ever responded to him. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He says that we're released from shame now, And our work is trusting him enough to believe it. Jesus takes this messed up guy, heals him, and then says, go tell people about me. Be my ambassador. He immediately recognizes this man as a new creation. And he immediately takes this man, puts him into his service, and makes him an ambassador for him. Foster writes, we know the deceptiveness of the human heart, and we know the grace and mercy of God's acceptance. Once we see the awfulness of sin, we know that regardless of what others have done, we ourselves are the chiefest of sinners. Therefore, there is nothing anyone can say that will disturb us. Nothing. By living under the cross, we can hear the worst possible things from the best possible people without so much as batting an eyelash. If we live in that reality, we will convey that spirit to others. They know it is safe to come to us. They know we can receive anything they could possibly reveal. They know we will never condescend to them, but instead understand. 
Jesus knows that the Gerasene demoniac will follow him because this man has tasted true freedom and trusts Jesus. Now, in Mark, it's really cool. Uh, Mark tells us that Jesus goes back to this region of the Gerasenes. And what happens when he goes back? The first time he's there, everyone's like, please get out of here. The next time he comes back, he does the feeding of the 4,000. And this place ended up becoming a stronghold for the early church, this Decapolis region. And I have to wonder, the Gospels don't tell us, but what's the difference between the first time Jesus came and the second time Jesus came? Do you think that maybe this former demoniac man did his job? Do you think he told everyone the good things that God had done for him? And God used this man to bring Jesus and his teaching to these people. So he can definitely use all of you. (laughs) God makes his appeal through us to the world. He's done this work, and now the people that he wants us to be Jesus, we're supposed to be the character of Jesus. He's in us. Somehow I reach out my hand, and Jesus does too. That's what he wants us to do. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, through, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he, was made, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When I reach out my hand in some sort of mysterious way, God is reaching out his hand through me. And he is calling us to do that to the easily lovable and to the incredibly unlovable, because he loves them all the same way he loves us. We are called to search out the lost, to reach out to them with the humility that only true empathy can facilitate, and to show them Christ in us so that they too might be freed and brought into his family and into his service. Amen.